So I want us to meditate on this a bit and um, I want to ask that we bow our heads to pray as we look at the Bible and what he has to say for us as Adventist Christians. Father, thank you so much for people willing to sacrifice and preserve and invest. Um, we know that our pioneers had quite a journey and we heard, Father, this statement many times that as we look ahead into the future, we don't, have, we don't have nothing to fear for the future, except, Father, we forget how you led us in the past. There's value in us investing and understanding our history, our roots. And I ask, Father, that um, this little glimpse that we will have in this message will impact. And, Father, I do pray for a powerful experience as we look at the buildings and Hear the stories of sacrifice and effort because of a reason that we will be exploring this morning, because of hope. Father, speak to our hearts. May your word inspire us today as it did back then. In Jesus' name, amen, Father. <clears throat> you will see that I am doing a lot more reading. I will try to read most of the sermon because that was one of the things that was common back then. Most churches did not have uh, an established pastor. At least the Adventist church did not have established pastors. And other churches followed suit as well at that time. Most pastors had several churches to care for. So the elders or deacons would preach. And because most of them were farmers, putting a sermon together was a bit intimidating. So they would read sermons, sermons by Spurgeon and other uh, theologians well-known. Uh, or the pastor will write his own sermons and pass it on to the deacons and elders, and so they would read sermons. I'm not a fan of reading, but I would try my best to do so, so that we can have a little bit of an authentic experience. I've shared this with some of you. Um, today, even with all the tours, our experience will be limited as far as the history. But if you know how to navigate YouTube, I want to encourage you to search today, sometime this week, to search um, a movie called Tell the World. Um, if all you do is just type Tell the World Adventist, it should be the first hit that you get. It's a movie that has been produced by our church and it journeys the whole history, starting with William Miller's conversion all the way to our church becoming uh, what it is today, a worldwide movement. It's one of the best three hours that you will invest. My wife and I watched it uh, on one of those rare Saturday night dates that we had when the girls fell asleep early enough and uh, we decided to watch it and by the end I had tears in my eyes and a renewed desire and conviction to give to God's kingdom through the church as our pioneers did and I'm sure it will inspire you. You may not be able to watch all of it in one sitting um, but that's okay. Um, I think it will encourage you and give you a, a even more robust understanding of why we exist, why we are here. Trying to be all historic and authentic, and yet I'm reading my sermon from an iPad. <laughs> so I thought maybe I should print the sermon. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to give you a bit of an insight, especially to some of your newer members. Though you may see a wood stove fire in Oregon, these were cutting-edge technology back in the days. And our pioneers were mostly... Uh, mid or late teenagers, 17, 18, 19 year olds, those were the individuals that stepped up to the bat 
when God called individuals to spread the gospel. And some of the, the rest were in their early, mid-twenties. And with that came a desire to adopt some of the most modern ways to um, communicate the gospel. So once I thought about that, I thought, it's okay to read from an iPad then. Our pioneers, if they had it back then, they probably would be using an iPad and not paper and pencil. They loved keeping up with innovation and adopting technology. And God helped them too. God helped them discover things in regards to health and many other things that um, God desired us to be ahead of the curve. And I think God wants us to do the same today. Amen? So I want to challenge you young people, and by young people, I mean anyone 46 and under. Because I turned 26 this year. (laughs) What are we doing with the technology advancements that we have today in adopting these to facilitate the spreading of the gospel? I was trying to figure out how we could enter into the thinking and be able to experience the feelings that our pioneers had shortly before October 22, 1844 and onward. It is very difficult for us to try to relate to something of this magnitude. I think the closest thing that we've had as a society here in America is 9-11. Yet, what our pioneers were expecting went beyond the destruction of two buildings in New York City. They were expecting this world to end, but not to end in tragedy and hopelessness, but to end in righteousness and holiness. Jesus was going to come. Many of our pioneers that day were hoping to be reunited with their loved ones at the resurrection. There were deep emotional investment on that day. And for us that know our history, realize that, of course, Jesus did not come. The prophetic understanding that they had in God's providence was used for a greater good. I want us to open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. I looked, I tried to think of scriptures. There were several that would have become anchor points, strong platforms for our pioneers to feed their faith and help them press through that. I mean, we, we had our brother Don tell us about someone being a skeptic. <clears throat> First John chapter 3. But you know, when, when you have invested all of your savings, you have sold your farm, you have sold all your possessions, and you've gone all out thinking in just a few years, in just a few months, in just a few days, the hope of all the ages will get to be fulfilled. And what we think about and we have painters try to imagine for us, we will get to see those glories with our own eyes. And for that to not materialize, I would think that there are very few experiences that could cause us to understand the grief, the deep, disappointing pain of our pioneers had. And that is how our movement was birthed, out of deep, deep disappointment. But God, like I said, is not a God that leaves his people in those dark moments. Um, He leaves his word for us to study further. And 
I want us to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. As I meditated, I thought this would be a great summary to help us relate to the experience, the journey of before this great disappointment and onwards. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. I want us to go back and just, you can keep your Bibles open and go through these three verses section by section. The first part begins with, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. This became, I believe, the foundation that compelled and propelled our pioneers to make the kind of sacrifices they did. John doesn't simply say, God loves us a lot, or God loves us really, 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 really much, a lot. John saves words and says, you need to look. Behold, what kind of love the Father has towards the human race. You know, there are things that we can learn that prevent us from beholding that love. And Christianity had allowed certain obstacles, certain spectacles, that's what these were called back in the day, certain glasses that Christianity had and didn't know they had them on, which for some of us is an experience that we may have had and made us chuckle, right? You're looking for your glasses all over the place and you ask your wife, where are they? And she starts laughing and she points at your face. You had them in your, in, with you all along. Well, Christianity to a great degree is like that. Even to this day, there are many Christians that don't realize that they are trying to behold the love of God through lenses that distort the reality of that love. This great disappointment had a purpose by God. It led us to recognize that when we studied parts of the scripture, we were already attaching meaning and interpretation to parts of the Bible that were not teaching anything any, anywhere near what many of the other churches were teaching. William Miller struggled as a deist, as a skeptic, going from bars to bars, and you will see some of that experience in the film that I mentioned to you, Tell the World. But he went from an individual that, because of these tarnished views of God, he couldn't accept, he couldn't reconcile a God of love with some of the things that were being presented from many of the popular pulpits and that had been presented for centuries. Well, and White, growing up in the Methodist church, was plagued, not necessarily because of what she had learned locally, but institutionally. She was terrified of hell. She was terrified of meeting a God whose character could take a human being and, and torture that individual for all eternity in hell. Ellen White struggled understanding the love of God. 
So God had to take his people through a very painful experience of shedding that which prevented his children from beholding his love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It is difficult to see that kind of a character with some of the things that were being presented from many Christian pulpits. These are two very brief summary experiences. There were many more. The misunderstandings of Bible teachings greatly prevented a more complete and clear view of the gospel. Uh, so Nika mentioned about we've been commissioned to preach the everlasting gospel, the three angels' messages. Revelation 14, 6 through 12 is where those messages are found. And as a new member, as a visitor, as a friend, I want to encourage you to read those passages over and over and begin to ask yourself, what do they mean? Because the, the canopy, the, 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 the title of that section is called the everlasting gospel. And it begins with fear God. You know, we had a gentleman be asking, telling us that, explain to me the Bible, explain to me what your church believes. Well, if anyone ever asks you, what do Seventh-day Adventists believe? Tell them we believe in the everlasting gospel. Find Revelation chapters 14, chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. But before you can tell that to people, you need to understand it yourself. And I can tell you that I didn't appreciate my church very much because I couldn't explain those passages intellectually or experientially. I, we need to be able to retain and rekindle that same spirit because just because some things have been understood better doesn't mean you and I understand them. Every human being is born with the effects of sin in the human mind. And you can be born in the Seventh-day Adventist church and be exposed to individuals that take a very legalistic slant to religion. Have you ever met legalistic individuals? How happy are legalistic individuals, right? That tell you, happy Sabbath, right? That's, that's the welcome you may get from some of them. I grew up in a church that there were very, there were several of those individuals. The first time I was invited to speak during youth Sabbath, I put on my suit and tie and gave a sermon that I probably would never preach again. <laughs> but it was my first try. And it was my first time experiencing this. And it helped me to realize there's something here. I like teaching people the Bible. It was the genesis of God's calling to ministry. But one of the saints, these legalistic saints, as I was shaking their hands on the way out of church, the only thing she could say to me was this, your suit is too light. The color of your suit is too light. When you're in the pulpit, you got to wear dark colors. That's the only feedback I got. And when you don't know what you believe, comments like that will propel you out of the church. People's comments, people's gossips, the imperfections of every single church. I love our church, don't you? And I love it with all these wrinkles, with all these imperfections. I love our Oakwood Church family. But it's because it's bigger than you and I. You begin to understand why you are here. So I want to invite our new members. Invest in your identity as a Christian. Invest in your identity as a Seventh-day Adventist. In Revelation chapter 14, 6 through 12 are the ABCs of who we are as Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, I want to give you a reference from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. 
what 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Paul prayed for, even back then. Even back then, you see, this is not a struggle that just happened 150 years ago in 1844. Satan, since the entrance of sin, has been trying to obscure our minds, blind our eyes, so that we will not behold the manner, the kind of love God the Father has for you in Christ. That's what, that's what changes people's lives, is beholding the love of God. And in Paul's times, it was, it was the Gnostic movement, it was Greek philosophy, it was the circus, it was Roman persecution. To all that many more, more things, Satan was using to blind the eyes of people, but nothing was more effective. Nothing was more effective than blinding the eyes of the leadership of the church from seeing God's love in the Bible. All of the traditions, all of the attempts to try to explain the Bible, Torah, the Old Testament, became the obstacles so that when God was manifested in the flesh, the religious leaders could not see Jesus as the greatest manifestation of God's love for them. It's interesting, what a paradox that the very Bible that is designed to reveal the character of God tarnished with human traditions and teachings that are not biblical can actually hinder and get in the way. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, this is Paul's prayer for Christians, for the believers in Ephesus and elsewhere. His prayer is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded, does, do any of you guys have that scripture open? What does he say? Rooted and grounded in what? Love. Behold what manner of love. And if Satan can distort any on all parts of God's love, how can, what are you being rooted and grounded on? We need to be rooted and grounded in love so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All of our pioneers, including some of the most, the more common ones, including Ellen White, all of her childhood, up to the point of her understanding this love, she was plagued with a terrifying, paralyzing fear of God. And those perceptions were placed in her mind from places like this. Individuals, some of them may have been well-meaning, trying to spur people to live this world of, leave this world of sin and embrace the life of righteousness, but they try to employ fear. And fear will never accomplish what only love can. That's why I told you, there's a lot of homework for us to do at Seventh-day Adventists because if I want to tell someone, if I want to tell my neighbor or co-worker, what do you Seventh-day Adventists believe? Well, a summary of it is Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12. The very first two words of the everlasting gospel, you know what they are? Fear God. What a challenge to try to explain to people that that's a good thing. How can that be everlasting good news? And I grew up incapable of explaining that rejecting all of those things, not wanting to hear prophecy because every time I heard anything related to prophecy, I had nightmares. Terrifying nightmares. Well, I can tell you that those very first words of fear God when interpreted by the scripture without the clutter of our own traditions truly reveal the God of love. And you and I are invited 
to study the Scriptures in the same passion and conviction as our pioneers did. Paul's prayer that we could know the love of Christ was inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit desires each of us to behold the love of God revealed in Jesus through the Scriptures. It is revealed through a deeper and earnest study of God's Word. You know, that was the motivation. It was in a meeting house like this that several of individuals met October 23rd. It was as if, I guess it is similar to 9-11. And you're wondering, what now? We have sold everything, and Jesus has not come. Many individuals took the Bible and threw it. This is humanity's greatest hoax. And I was taken. I was suckered. How could I be so stupid? And many people left in anger, not just rejecting the prophetic understandings, but rejecting Christianity as a whole. Others said, you guys are a hoax. You guys deceived me and went back to the other church, their churches they came from. A very small group was left with, have we been deceived? Was this whole thing a hoax? You see, every human being, you don't have to have lived in 1844 to go through a traumatic, painful experience in your life. An experience of deep, deep disappointment. One of the biggest lessons that we can glean from our pioneers is that God will use your darkest moment of doubts and questions about God's love for you, God's existence, the, ver the veracity, the, the validity of His Word. God will use those darkest moments of doubt. And if you by faith, not feeling, if you by faith come to Him with the questions and the heart anguish, his word will shine in your mind like it never did before. These um, individuals were not theologians, did not speak Greek, did not have all the access to books that we have today. All they had were their needs and the Bible and each other. And the way they learned to study the Bible is a way that every Christian is invited to study the Bible. It's good to read it, but so few have learned the beauty and importance of studying the Bible. Ideas such as the present eternal torment of the lost in hell, as well as the predestination of the elect or the lost, irrespective of their choice, led millions to think that they knew God. They millions to think that they knew God. Therefore, 1 John 3 continues saying, we just read, behold what manner of love, but that passage continues by saying, therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Now, John doesn't say the world does not believe in God's existence. There are many in the world that believe in God's existence and wish God did not exist. There's a very big difference between believing that God exists and knowing who he is. And John is saying here, the children of God, behold what manner of God, love that God has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God, the world does not know us. The world will not understand us because it does not know, it does not understand God. And so when our pioneers began to understand that no, God is not, cannot be 
uh, right now, presently, torturing individuals in hell, and he will do so for all eternity, most of this Christian world was scandalized. What do you mean? What kind of a God are you preaching? The God of the Bible. Calvinism was starting to take tremendous uh, influence across North America and Europe. And many Christians were starting to believe that if you have pretty, pretty stable wealth, that's a pretty good evidence that you've been selected by God to be saved. And you cannot be lost no matter what you do. You have been predestined by God, irrespective of your choice. God will take you. And irrespective of your choice, the flip side is that irrespective of your choice, even if you wanted to be saved, if God did not pick you, doesn't matter what you do, what you say, you are eternally lost. Those were the views of Christian pulpits presenting as a revelation of God's character. And so they could not understand. To this day, they do not understand. They misconstrue and distort at times, sometimes ignorantly, sometimes intentionally. What we as Seventh-day Adventists desire to proclaim to our brothers and sisters in other denominations. An invitation to say, what lenses are you wearing? What human tradition is interpreting for you what is not found in the Scriptures? The Bible does not present a God that randomly for no reason at all except that He can chooses you to be lost and you to be saved. The Bible presents a God who died on the cross to give us a choice that sin had taken away from us. A choice that to, to receive His grace by faith. So the Adventist church began to understand God's love and the context and the breadth of it. So all of these things began to get shed away. And with more <laughs> conviction, we realized, no wonder we misunderstood this. No wonder we were thinking about that. We've been taking what others were telling us is so and pushing those meanings into the Bible when they are not there. And I'm going to tell you something this morning at Seventh-day Adventists. We still don't understand everything in the Bible. We still haven't discovered everything about the everlasting gospel. What started 150 years ago, God desires to still be happening today. For us to still grow and, and, and move forward in understanding better and clearer this love that the Apostle John says, you need to behold. Because when you see it, it will change you forever. But until you see it, this is just culture. This is just one of the many religions. And that's how you would treat it. Only when you see it will it transform you. You know, many other denominations, and as I've been a Bible worker and I've talked to ministers and members of other churches, they have complain to us you know no one knows the day of the date or the hour jesus said it but you guys said a day of an hour and that was wrong yes it was it was but you know what's more wrong than setting a wrong date it is more wrong to not want jesus to come it is more wrong to tell jesus you can come lord but not so soon. Lord Jesus, you can come, but not now. Not now. And that's what the real sentiment and the real resistance toward this message was. It scared many people to realize, well, hold up a second, it's for real and it's going to happen soon. 
Instead of being a blessing and the completion of the hopes of all millennia, it was seen as the great intrusion, the greatest interruption to all my earthly plans. You have to put yourself in the historical setting of our country. The Civil War is becoming part of our history books. And the Industrial Revolution is really opening our eyes to how much wealth and resources are in this country. And who wants Jesus to now end when things are just starting to get good? We fought the Revolutionary War against Britain. We've broken free from them. We have uh, gone through the Civil War. Now we're starting to heal. And now industry and wealth and all this prosperity. The second coming of Jesus was not seen as a happy, long-for event, but something that would interrupt human plans. Thus, the second, this great disappointment that is good for us to study historically will do the same for us as a church. Churches still experience deep disappointments, not maybe to this magnitude, but individuals in the church may disappoint you. And others may disappoint you as well. But those things, for me at least, I realize that God can use to sift through the superficial and uncommitted those that are motivated by emotions. When the feelings are good, I'm in. But when the feelings aren't there, or simply fear. God uses disappointments to challenge us with the question, why are you here? Jesus' popularity was growing from 70 to hundreds of disciples. And one day Jesus looks at them in the eye and says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be my disciple. And the vast majority of them left. And Jesus turns to his own disciples, to the 12, and says, are you guys staying or going? Are you guys staying or going? And, P and, P and Peter responds, you are the only one that has the words of life. To whom else can we go? But it wasn't just truth. These disciples were growing in love with Jesus. You see, fear has some immediate responses, but only love is the only quality, is the only force that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's 1 Corinthians chapters 13, verses 7 through 8. And that's the goal of God with us as His children. That's what it says. Behold, what manner of what, church? Love. It has to be that love because if it's fear or emotions or excitement, that will fade away. And the only ones that remain are those that have been able to behold the love of God in Jesus Christ and have responded by yielding their hearts and love to Him. Love is the only power, the only force that will cause you to endure, endure till the end. So what is the result of this journey? John continues in those verses, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, what is John pointing to? What event? When Jesus is revealed. Second coming. And back to 1 John chapter 3, by the way. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You know, it is only hope 
only hope that can give you the power and the conviction and the desire to get up every morning when Satan and your feelings and your emotions are telling you why you're getting up again. When Satan gives you deep blows in your life, when Satan and sin takes away that which you are most endeared to, where you had other hopes of life, hope of health, hope of marriage, hope of children, hope of other things, success. And when this world takes all of those things away, the only hope that remains is the hope in the second coming of Jesus. And that is enough. It is enough. Hope in Jesus. Not just the event, but in Him. The transformative result of this deeper study, which led to clearer views of God's love, can be summarized in at least these five experiences. The beholding of God's love and the realization that now we are His children, number one, will give you personal assurance. This is something that, was plagued, that has plagued Adventists for decades. You need to know about this. Personal assurance, many people doubt if they're saved. And I used to think that it was only for Adventists. No, I meant Baptists, Lutherans, Methodists, Catholics. Every human being doubts their standing before God, and many of them dread seeing Jesus. But when you behold the love of God, that love gives you personal assurance that you now are His child. You now are His daughter, His son. And Satan can no longer cause you to doubt how God feels towards you. Even in the days where you even question yourself whether you have ever been converted or transformed by His love because of your behaviors, because of your decisions, sometimes we have our moments of dry valleys where we're so close, so close in giving up. But personal assurance. The second one is steadfast peace. This personal assurance is not in a vacuum. Is built on steadfast peace because now you see that Jesus is your faithful intercessor and He always will be. I can grow from my past mistakes. I do not need to be haunted by my regrets. I can look forward and forget what lies behind me. I have been forgiven and cleansed from all my sins. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, to read this book called Steps to Christ. I want to invite you to read it at least through every year, next to the Scriptures. I don't want that book to take the place of the Scriptures, but I want to invite you to read through that book at least once a year. In, those, in that book, you will read uh, sentences that encouraged me, revived me spiritually. Sentences such as, when Satan comes to tell you that you are a great sinner, tell him that you have a great Savior. Because those whisperings come to every believer. The other outcome of beholding this great love is undistracted vision. His word will be, become real to you. And it will reveal the future of the world and your personal experience as, as the end draws near. And it will daily renew this conviction that you need to prioritize his word and prayer as never before. See, your spiritual life and mine can be compared to when I go to the beach with my little girls in Puerto Rico or to all the lakes that we've been to this past couple of days in, in, in uh, vacation, uh, Lake Superior, Lake uh, uh, Huron, and Lake Michigan, <coughs> or Lake Erie. 
In Puerto Rico, the, the waves have a little bit more of a run because the, the, the slope of the sand is a little longer. Sometimes my little girls want to make a little swimming pool for their toys. Mr. Turtle wants a swimming pool. Your spiritual life is like you trying to make a swimming pool at the beach. You will make a little hole and you think it's done. But a wave will come and fill it right back up. And if you're not careful, that little hole that was there 30 seconds ago in a minute or two will be as if it never was. And you can get baptized and have tremendous experience with the Lord in your life. But if you're not daily digging that hole in the sand of your heart, Satan will fill it up with stuff and you won't even realize it until it is imperceptible that it was even there. In Bolivia, I remember going to sleep one night in La Paz. My family had already fallen asleep. And I had been studying my Sabbath school lesson. I must have been nine or ten years old. And I remember being overwhelmed with the love of Jesus for me, that he would die on the cross. And I remember in my bed weeping in gratitude for the salvation of God through Jesus Christ for me. As a nine, ten-year-old, talk about, you know, putting seeds of the gospel in our children. But that experience was one day. And when you are neglectful of not simply reading. Our pioneers did not make it through that great time of disappointment by simply reading through the Bible in a year or listening to the Bible in audio. Sort of great things, and I do them. But brethren, I can tell the difference when I only read the Bible versus studying it. The Bible tells us to behold what manner of love God has given to us. And that beholding is in a mind still affected by sin. And today you'll be convicted and revived and energized. But you are like that hole of sand. If you're not constantly pushing back the sand that wants to crawl by kinder and close that hole of, of space that you made for God in your life, life will fill up with your life with a whole bunch of not bad stuff but good things so that there's no room for Jesus in your life. Many Adventists, many Christians... Are being neglectful in not allowing that space for God to behold God's love, thinking, well, I know about these things already. John wrote those words almost 2,000 years ago. And for centuries, it has been a command. Behold what manner of love God has for you. The moment you stop looking at Jesus is the moment your eyes will begin to be affected by the darkness of this world. It also gives you renewed energy. It gives you renewed vision. You don't get tired of church. Church is never boring, no matter how short or long the, preach, the preacher is. Church is just not boring because it is Jesus' love that energizes you. And if you see that the church is lacking something, you're not going to complain about it. You're actually going to do something about it. That's the beauty. Our church did not have Pathfinders. Did you guys know that? We were not all of a sudden in 1846 with a Pathfinder club doing, going to Oshkosh. That did not happen like that until decades later. Our church has continually been revising ourselves. What do we need? What are we not needing? What needs? I mean, ADRA, Adventist Disaster Relief Agency. All those things came into existence as our church was energized. And I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the awesome stuff, the innovation that our church has, did not come from pastors. It came from church members. The individuals that went through the great disappointment 
were not theologians. They were farmers. But God would place his spirit on them and God would honor their deep searching of the scriptures to help them understand what had tainted their understanding to shed those things off their eyes so they could behold what manner of love God has towards humanity. And I do want us to look in the, in the last little part of 1 John chapter 3, which is why, where this sermon came from or why I chose to use these verses for this message. 1 John 3, 3 says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. I never saw hope as a purifying agent, but the Peter John says it is. If you have this hope in Jesus that he will come again, it motivates you and compels you to purify yourself. Jesus purified his people by guiding them with his word through their deepest and darkest disappointment into one of the most glorious, joyful experience as they hope for his return. This purified them, listen carefully as we close. Jesus purified his people from misguided self-dependence. They now had deep convictions that apart from Jesus, they could do nothing. Apart from his grace, they could not stand. Jesus purified them of superficially engaging his word and prayer, something that I wrestle with, and I believe I'm not the only one wrestling with, a propensity to make my prayers so shallow, so predictable, so repetitive. Those are symptoms of a, of a bored spiritual life. And if I'm bored with Jesus, I can guarantee you, you'll be bored with his church too. No matter what acrobatics and no matter what the church may do. So we need to allow the Lord to, to purify us from, a, from the superficiality that we can easily gravitate towards. Listen carefully. This is not solo work. Our church has never encouraged for every human being, for every church member to try go at it alone. One of the most, yes, our, our pioneers studied. They studied, for sure they did. But you know, the majority of their studying was done in groups and not simply at the meeting house or the church. The majority of the group studies took place in people's homes with these kind of lights till 11 o'clock to midnight. And all of them were farmers. You know what time in the morning the farmers get up? It's like the time of pe the day people have to go to that work in Ann Arbor, right? They have to get up at four in the morning to avoid that traffic. Or in Detroit. So kind of like farmers. <laughs> and they didn't care about what time they had to get up in the morning. They were energized as they beheld the love of God with brothers and sisters together. You know, this purified them of cold indifference towards one another too. Because you cannot study about God's love with other people without that love affecting each other and you becoming more closely knit towards each other as you study about the love of God together and work together to share it. I can tell you that there was a tremendous unifying experience in Fieldwork Sunday last week all the teams that work together, I can guarantee you that their hearts were intertwined. Happened the same thing for the people that went to El Salvador. Anything and everything that we do as a church bonds us to each other. And I believe that we need to, just like we fight the sand, you know, the waves trying to fill in a little pool of, of, of water. We, we have a, a, a tsunami of busyness, of demands on our time. But God will honor the time we take apart to be with one another. 
They were purified from being seduced by earthly gain, popularity, and comfort. What is gained if one should get the whole world? Well, if I believe Jesus is coming back, I will only get a big pile of ashes. If I believe in the second coming, I cannot get seduced by trying to get this world because it will become a big pile of ashes, of nothing, of an eternal loss. But to invest in true riches, to place my treasures where Jesus is in heaven, will naturally lead my heart to be set in heaven as well where Jesus is. Because Jesus in Luke 12, 34 says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This purified them of the lukewarm experience God's people will have to fight against on a daily basis. Jesus, he can heal the eyes and open the eyes of the blind. He can clothe the naked and the ashamed. He can make the poor and weak rich and strong. So it doesn't matter where I find myself in my Christian experience, if I find my spirituality as something of the past, Jesus today can give you a fresh experience to move forward on. I believe that this historical event is not simply for us to learn about the past, but to be empowered as we move forward because it will be up to us to carry this work through the end. And if it's not me, it will be our children and grandchildren. And what heritage we will give them, I pray, will be the same heritage that we've received from our pioneers. There is hope for the lukewarm Christian, but that hope is only found in Jesus. And this hope is not on the event. It is hope in the one coming in the event, Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus and his love, and his love will never fail you. Precious Father, thank you. Thank you that we know what happens when we behold your love. And Father, I ask for your spirit to open our eyes as we read. And I hope, Father, all of us, myself included, are compelled to study your holy word. Father, I pray for each of us that our jobs, that our studies, that our academia, that our families, that our schedules, that none of these things will get in the way of beholding what manner of love you have for each of us. Lord, forgive us if we've been neglectful. Forgive us if we've been superficial. But Father, at this place of history, in these benches where individuals sat and people knelt in prayer, asking you for greater understanding, a better grasp of beholding your love, Father, infuse us with that same passion and conviction and desire in our hearts that nothing and no one will take our crown. Father, thank you for that everlasting love you have for us in Jesus. And I pray that that will be what motivates us every day to pursue you with conviction and commitment. Father, thank you for the history we have as a church. Move us forward. And Father, Please send your son Jesus soon to end the nightmare of sin in this world. In his name we pray. Amen, Father.